0: Hello and welcome to raise the room podcast. I'm your host Danica here at raise the room. We are trying to consciously raise our kids re-raise ourselves and by doing so raise the vibe of any room we walk into simply with our authenticity. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Room. I am Danica, your host, and today we are going to be talking about screen time and kids. The hot topic, the inevitable thing we have to face as parents now in our world. But before we do that, I told you I'd keep you updated on my house buying, moving, extravaganza. So our house sold very quickly. We had a total whirlwind. Um, it was listed on a Wednesday afternoon. Minutes after the listing came out, we literally had people driving by our house, and then um, showing requests, et cetera, et cetera. We had thirteen viewings in a day and a half. We were advised by our realtor to, you know, hold off on off- offers and say like we're getting all the offers at one time. So we. Said we would take offers Friday at five. Um, at this point, like I had planned for when it was listed to take for me and the boys, my kids, to go up to my in law's cabin for four days and just get out of the way. My husband still had to work, and holy damn, I am so happy that we did that. I mean, we had a wonderful time, regardless, but. Thank goodness we were out of the house. Like my husband, (laughs) the first day after work, the Thursday, like when all the showings were scheduled, he couldn't get back to our house until 8 p.m. The second night, the Friday, there was supposed to be one more showing that finished at five. He came home at five and he, you know, his work's over at like 4.30. So he had to kill some time, came home and there's people lollygagging in the driveway. He's like, I had to sit across the street in my truck like a total creeper (laughs) waiting until they were gone. And then even though we took offers that evening, they still went forward with two open houses over the weekend just to, you know, network still in case um, the offer that we accepted falls, you know, fell through. So yeah, it would have been a nightmare to stay here with the boys and live and try and be out of the house. And then when we were back in it, be clean. Like I could just see myself being a very not fun mom, a very not at my best self mom because I would be expecting my kids to not be themselves, which is, you know, energetic, busy, messy kids. And yeah, that just wouldn't have gone well. So on top of that, we were at a lake, um, beautiful weather, had support from my in-laws, a nice family friend there. The kids loved it. Like we just We had such a great four days. We're going back up there um, in the couple weeks. My poor mother-in-law got the full meal deal of what a two-hour ferry ride and then basically a six-hour car ride is (laughs) with the kids. And what it is, I'll tell you, is it's not fun. Um, It's really not fun. We live in an area where we don't face traffic very much. Like My kids don't have to sit or get stuck in the car. We want to go somewhere. It's like 10, 15 minutes. We're there. So any sort of extended ride, honestly, they're terrible at. They have no stamina. And I have my youngest who just fights going to the bathroom tooth and nail. Like no matter, he at one point was yelling, like screaming at the top of his lungs as a behavior in the car because he had to use the bathroom so badly. But when we pulled over, he wouldn't go. So trying to battle that, um, traveling halfway across our province is not fun, you know? (laughs) So... Anyways, we are doing the drive again in a couple of weeks. Uh, luckily, it'll just be, you know, my husband and I and the kids. And, um, you know, he I won't be feeling embarrassed, even though my mother-in-law was so understanding and like an absolute champ. And I'm very thankful that she drove us and that she was like so kind about it because she had every reason to be annoyed because it was annoying. Like it was highly annoying. But um, yeah. Being up at the cabin was just the best way to enjoy ourselves and be out of the way. And so the house is sold, Um, subjects are removed, everything's happening. I'm trying really hard to just trust in the process of us landing in our new community in a way that feels good. I have found this awesome Airbnb to rent. Um, still ironing out the details on that. It's a farm property just for the month of September. I'm really hoping that um, comes together, but if it doesn't, it's not meant to be. We have a house that we want to put an offer in on, but it has an accepted offer. Subject to sale, hasn't gone well, expires soon, so we're hoping to capitalize on that. There's just a ton of moving pieces. I'm trying to find childcare. <laughs> Oh, my husband still doesn't officially have a job yet. There's so, so much going on, but I honestly do just feel like it's going to be okay. There's going to be bumps in the road. I mean, our kids are already definitely showing behaviors. Like this morning we had to wake up early to call our financer, our mortgage company, because we had questions so that we're prepared for when we want to put in an offer on this house. And it's Eastern Eastern time. So we had to wake up early to call them before my husband went to work. We wanted to both be on the phone so that, you know, we weren't asking the other person like, well, did they say this? They say that. We set our alarm early and lo and behold, my youngest one wakes up. And so it ends up being my husband on the phone and I'm you know, sitting with my younger one. And every time I try and leave to go and listen in on the conversation, he starts acting out. He starts kind of yelling and doing these weird sound effects that are loud. It makes it hard to focus on the phone call. And finally, I'm kind of like, oh. And I go over to him. I'm like, you don't want mommy and daddy talking about moving, do you? And so it was hard because we still had to talk on the phone. I just said, I understand it feels weird. And at the same time, we have to know these things. We have to have these phone calls because we really want the process to go smoothly. We don't want it to feel uncomfortable and mommy and daddy need, you know, to to ask questions in order to make it all go smoothly. It's not like he changed his tune after that, but he definitely was a little bit less activated. And so just trying to keep those big picture things in mind when their behaviors are communicating something that are you know, letting us know that they're feeling a certain way, even though in the moment it's just like, will you, for the love of God, just stop? <laughs> will you just please let us deal with this? Because it's high stress and high stakes for my husband and I, too. And so kids feed off of that. And I just really want them to feel as supported as possible. And I want them to understand that this is practice, right? This is resilience practice. This is showing them that they can do hard things, as Glennon Doyle says, that they can. Um, move through transitions with ease and comfort as much as possible. So yeah, there's a lot going down. And I'm thankful for it because it is just another indicator of a full life. One thing that was pretty cool about selling our house was that we had been given like a number that we would list it at originally and then when it came time to actually list and we got the realtor photos done My realtor was like, you know, we could try for higher like the comps are selling it like 50 grand higher and um, Then what we talked about so we could do that and then if it doesn't sell dramatically reduce, you know within a couple of weeks and My intuition was just like no (laughs) We want a quick sale. I want one less thing to worry about. There's already enough questions Let's price it competitively so that hopefully we get multiple offers. And my realtor was just like, you know what? My intuition is telling me the same. So thank you for voicing that. Let's go with the original plan. And it obviously worked. And while I was waiting for offers to come in because we were up at the cabin. So I obviously had all of the (laughs) goings-ons from back here at the top of my mind. I was wondering how things were going how many offers we were going to get, if we were going to get offers. And at one point I just sat on the dock at the lake and I just did a quick little meditation and I was calling in the number that I wanted. And the number that I wanted was in and around the 50 grand more than what the realtor had originally said. And I feel it's important to share this because I had moments of doubt, like you're being selfish, like thinking that even if I voiced that that's what I wanted, people would think that... I was being ridiculous or greedy, but we're moving to a more expensive community. Like every freaking dollar counts. And I just thought to myself, no, like you're not being greedy. The realtor thought we could probably sell it for this price. It's a wonderful area, wonderful school catchment. We've done so much work on the house. Like somebody's going to be lucky to get this place. And so I just held that in my mind's eye and did a visualization on it. And, um, The offer that we accepted was that amount of money, less $2,000, which is actually kind of cool because instead of the amount ending in a five, it ended in a three, which is my favorite number. And I just share that with you to. Remember the power of visualization and positive thinking and truly believing in what you're calling in. Like I did have the moment of self-doubt. I did have the moment of questioning my worth in all of this and what people would perceive. But at the end of the day, I did feel like one of the offers at least, if not more than one, would be close to that. And so when I put the intention out there for that to truly take place, it's like the universe, it's almost like I extended my hand, my metaphorical hand and the universe grabbed it and I was able to pull that opportunity in towards me and us. And so even though (laughs) we still need more money for the new community we're going to, somehow it still doesn't even feel like enough. It was just an amazing exercise in sort of believing yourself and trusting your own intuition and now I will be spending the next couple of weeks feeling some kind of way about being in this house. We brought home Mackie, my youngest here. Ooh, getting emotional even saying it out loud. We have a beautiful view of the sunsets. Our home is spacious and has provided us with a lot of memories and learning opportunities. And I feel ready to be on to the next thing, but I am, I'm sad to leave my nest, um, A large part of my human design talks about having a nest and a safe space. And I don't know if any of you are into astrology, I have a Taurus moon, which is all about creating comfort and security and safety. And so having my house be that space definitely is something that is important to me. And actually, my husband also has a Taurus moon. So we're very similar in that way. And yeah, I'm just soaking it all in. And probably next episode, I will be bitching and moaning about packing because I can't think of something I, I hate more. Obviously that, you know, doesn't cause pain or real suffering, but the mental suffering is real. <laughs> all right. This is a 12 minute update on my life. Who do I think I am? Thank you for listening to that. And today we're going to talk about screen time. So this is something that I felt was important to just spitball on. I definitely have certain ideas and articles and, you know, researchy things in place. But in true second line fashion, because I'm a second line human design, I do just feel better just going off my own natural thoughts in some way about the idea of screen time. So let's let her rip. Of course, I'm going to start off this episode by saying this is a judgment-free zone. You do you. You do what works for you. I am in a position where I've made certain choices about screen time um, because of my knowledge as a teacher and child development, and also because of my real-life experiences with my kids um and you'll hear that the way my kids are have actually shaped my opinions on screen time which is natural you know we all have an idea of what we're going to do and who we're going to be as parents and then we have kids you know and we're dealing with humans not robots and so then we have to adapt and course correct so this episode is by no means meant to try and sell you on one way of thinking or be judgmental about a different way of thinking at all. Um, It's honestly just a topic that is, it's charged. When you look into it online, there's a lot of opinions on screen time and so why not get into it? Aside from starting off saying this is a judgment-free zone, I also want to lay the foundation that my beliefs in what i'm going to share about how to utilize screen time what it does and what it doesn't do are based in long game parenting it's not about quick fixes it's about setting our children up for success according to their development and their social emotional needs that being said everybody needs a little downtime sometimes. <laughs> and so we do need quick fixes here and there. I'm always a proponent of balance, but my overall beliefs on the matter are based in an idea that is for the end game, for the long haul. So my journey into thinking about screen time started literally weeks after my oldest son was born. Uh, my mother in law brought up the topic about screens well she didn't she actually went to say something and then she went oh never mind never mind and i'm like what tell me tell me and i had no idea where she was gonna go with it and she's like oh this is i probably just shouldn't say anything because we're very early on in your motherhood journey here but she said the other day i saw a parent taking their child out for a walk in the stroller it was a baby and they had an ipad set up for their child in the stroller as they're walking outside. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, immediately I was like, well, that will never be me. Um, And it wasn't me. But I didn't realize the level of normalization that there was around uh, devices at that point in time. Like it wouldn't enter my mind to stick my baby in front of an iPad, let alone when I'm outside. Like I want my child to be experiencing the fresh air and the way the leaves move and yeah, like the experience of walking should be stimulating enough for being in the stroller. I, I was shocked by that. So that's my first memory of thoughts on screen time as a parent. I have always admired people that don't even have TV in their house, that their kids don't watch TV. I think that is absolutely amazing and aspirational. And once I became a parent, I quickly realized... I'm not going to be one of those parents (laughs) later learning about human design. I can now recognize it's because I need downtime. And um, I was gifted an extremely curious, extroverted, busy firstborn child that still to this day struggles with independent play. He wants to be engaged at all times. And honestly, still at this point in time, he really only lets us be when he's having some TV time. So it's a struggle in this house and know that this is the basis for a lot of my learnings on screen time. This is the basis for a lot of the guidelines and the rules that we've put in place is this. It's like it's had to be a balance of their needs and also my needs. Because I'll be honest with you. We watch more TV as a family than I ideally want to or my kids do. And when I'm talking about screen time, I'm only talking about viewing shows. And I will get to that later. I am not talking about playing games, video games, anything interactive on the device. I am only talking about shows. And later we'll touch more on why that is. But yes, overall, we watch or like more TV is on in my house than I would like. I have tried cold turkey a couple times. I probably should give it another honest try. But we also have kids that up until, like my oldest, up until he was about five, it was a battle to get him to sleep until at least 6 a.m. So I spent a lot of mornings up in the, you know, 4.30, 5.30, you know, hours. And I... I was a zombie like it took everything that I could to get out of bed and just plop him in front of the TV so I could get more sleep. So the day started out like that. Like it's just been a lot of little micro realities that have added up to um, more TV viewing time than I think is ideal. And I'm also giving myself grace because I know I'm doing the best that I can. When the kids aren't watching TV, they're going hard all the time. I'm constantly jam-packing their day. I am overdoing it as a projector to try and meet their generator needs. Um, and at the same time, I know that there's room for improvement. And um, I think I could give him more of an opportunity to develop his independent play skills. He he will be independent if you put him on a job that he wants to do. Um, but yeah, he just doesn't love alone play. He doesn't love being alone in general. So, so there we are. I wish we were a family that watched zero TV. I completely admire those (laughs) granola (laughs) type families. I don't know if granola is the right word, but they inspire me and maybe one day we'll get there. For now, we're not there and that's okay. We've got two projector parents raising two busy generator young boys. And um, I also recognize this is a season of life. I have to zoom out and recognize that it's going to be a couple of years before I might have some lazy teenagers moping about the house. And uh, I'll look back and and maybe miss how busy they were and how engaged they they forced us to be. So I always want to keep that zoomed out perspective in mind as well. I'd like to jump in on the television versus interactive games part of this discussion that I alluded to earlier. So in our house right now, we have a strict no games, no iPad games, no interactive screen time rule. And I will be planning on Trying to enforce this until they're at least 13. Um, That's the recommended age for brain development for even when you should allow your child to have their own phone is not until 13. And it's because of the development and growth of their brain, um, not just, you know, the outside obvious social factors. But when we talk about using screens, there is a massive difference between just. Viewing something and actually interacting with it according to the chemicals that are released in your brain. And I find, and I think there's information that backs this up, that there's a difference between watching something on a big screen, like a TV screen, versus on a smaller iPad, iPhone device screen. So I'm looking at an article from the University of New York, um, Potsdam or something, and it's broken down into effects of screen time into little micro sections on what it does to us. Number two, screen time desensitizes the brain's reward system. So it says many children are hooked on electronics, and in fact, gaming releases so much dopamine, the feel-good chemical, that on a brain scan, it looks the same as cocaine use. I'm going to stop right there because that's major. These devices have the ability to alter our brain chemistry, alter the brain chemistry of our children's developing brains. Okay, listen, I don't wanna sound like a total square (laughs) or go to two shoes, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, but when there's a toddler using a screen or a child under five using a screen, we have to really stop and think about the ramifications that it is bringing into our life, into our child's literal brain chemistry. It says, the reward pathways, when they're overused, become less sensitive and more and more stimulation is needed to experience pleasure. Meanwhile, dopamine is also critical for focus and motivation. So needless to say, even small changes in dopamine sensitivity can wreak havoc on how well a child feels and functions. So we're talking about their mental health here as they get older. We're talking about their ability, ability to focus and see success in situations where you're needed to uh, wait things out, work hard to get things where it's not instant gratification. This is something I feel really, really strongly about because we live in a world with devices. They're not going away. They are a part of our lives. I actually just recently heard on another podcast an expert saying she thinks that the most important relationship you have with your, in your life is with your phone, not with your family, not with anything else. It's with your phone first because that then affects all other relationships. So even aside from this social element of it, Let's think about what it's doing to us physically and what it's doing to our kids physically. I personally don't want to live in a house with a kid who's got a messed up reward system, who needs constant stimulation, who needs things to be instantly gratifying, needs a release of dopamine to feel okay. I'm getting all tangled up in my words because I'm passionate about it, but Like, kids are difficult enough as is. Their feelings are big enough as is. They are stimulating enough for us as is. Naturally, they're messy. They're chaotic. They need the stimulation from us. So, like, no thank you to messed up dopamine. I want to battle that as long as possible. So that's the researchy, sciencey, official part of it. I'm going to now bring in my own personal experience So, I have always been very against games. I think probably in my teaching school, they taught us all that information about. Interactive games versus viewing. Um, so that's always been a hard no for me. But we got to this point in parenting where all of a sudden, like my youngest had an opinion about what was on the TV. My oldest couldn't just rule the roost anymore as to what he was watching. And so then there were daily battles about whose turn it was. There still is every freaking day. Um, whose turn it is, what's gonna be on the TV, yada yada. So, for a while, I went against my better judgment and was like, okay, Bowen, you can just have the iPad. I gave the iPad to my older one only to view. He wasn't allowed to touch the screen, um, but he was allowed to watch his Netflix show, whatever it was. I mean, honestly, at that time, I think he <laughs> watched compilations of garbage trucks on YouTube. If anybody's seen Thrash and Trash Productions, you know what I'm talking about. Shout out. Um... But it was just for him so that I didn't have to deal with the battles and my younger one could like watch Blippi or whatever it was. And it was survival mode for me to try and like get food out in front of them or get dressed or honestly like use a bathroom without them bothering me. Um, and just that morning time, especially as a projector, my generators wake up rip roaring to go and, and I don't. So yeah, it was a way to try and like manage the chaos in our house. However, we quickly learned how not okay this was for Bowen and his behavior. He'd be fine, obviously, with the iPad. He even actually was fine when it was time to put it away. We don't have the struggles that a lot of people do when it's like, okay, it's time to turn off the iPad. He actually was pretty okay with that. But his behavior for the 30 minutes that followed was A nightmare. He was full-blown yellow or red zone. If you've heard me talking about zones of regulation before, you know what I'm talking about. But he's so overstimulated, activated, heightened, like out of his body almost. And it took a few times, you know, a few mornings, a few iPad sessions for us to realize what was going on. But it's like, okay, he's watching the same show, but he's just watching it on the iPad. This seems to make a difference. Like what the heck is going on? So it caused me to do a little further probing. And I definitely like the blue light has something to do with it for sure. The light that comes off of the screen. But also there's something to the proximity of the screen and the blue light, of course. And in this other article that I found, um, an article from The Guardian, she is quoting... Dr. Jenny Radeski from um, the 2016 AAP Digital Media Guidelines for Children and who runs a lab at the University of Michigan. I'm just trying to get legitimacy out here, you guys. It's not just from me and my observations. This has been studied. But when children have the use of a smaller device like a tablet or a phone, they create this walled off space and they become completely engrossed in this bubble and... It, first of all, gets rid of any opportunity for interaction about the show with people that they're watching with, and it gets them, as I've said, way closer to whatever is being emitted from the device. So this does have an effect on their brain and therefore their behavior afterwards. So for our own peace of mind and for the benefit of our child, we don't allow uh, any viewing on small screens unless we are on a road trip and, you know, mom and dad just need some goddamn peace and quiet in the back of the car (laughs) and they will watch on the iPad. And it is what it is. We're mentally prepared for it. But genuinely in our household, we just notice a difference. So I will be the first person to say that if I didn't notice a difference in the behavior, I probably wouldn't care. (laughs) I do care about the brain chemistry. I do genuinely care about all of that. But I am in the phase of life and the chaos of parenting that I will pretty much do whatever works to earn me any amount of peace in the day. And so if Bowen had reacted just fine to the iPad, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here doing this episode. I am completely a product of my parenting environment and because of those struggles because of those massive outbursts that are really honestly uncontrollable and you can't do anything about it except ride them out it has forced me to look into what the heck's going on and create boundaries that work best for all of us so once again i am learning from my <laughs> from the child the little mirror that's in my life like There are so many times where this has happened, where I have had an idea or things maybe would have gone one way if I wasn't dealing with a human and, you know, they're bringing their own opinions, interactions, et cetera, into the experience that then forces me to change, be more flexible, grow, um, be more compassionate, et cetera. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I had my second child first, I would have been a nightmare. I would have been the most arrogant, smug (laughs) parent ever so i am grateful for for the learnings most days please excuse me while i interrupt myself to talk to you about ways that you can work with me danica You can sign up for a human design session with me, where we go over your chart in depth, either a level one or a level two reading. For those of you that have a little bit of base knowledge already, you can also sign up for a reading to get your own chart and your child's chart read, or really any secondary chart, if you'd rather it be your partner. All of these sessions are in depth, overviews of your human design for those of you that want to go deep in understanding your design. For those of you that just wanna dip your toe in the water, especially in regards to understanding your children, I have human design parenting courses. These courses are tools to put in your toolkit to try and understand the little humans that you are raising in regards to their type in human design. These courses are broken down into four easily digestible segments, totaling about 30 to 40 minutes each. You can stop and start when you like, and we will walk away with practical strategies for how to work with your child's design instead of against them. I've put a lot of love into these videos, both in my understanding of human design, but also my understanding of children from being an elementary school teacher and a mother going through the thick of it just like you. When you purchase these courses, you're then also given access to what's called the remainder reading, where I go over the main elements of your child's chart, which then equates to having a full level one reading done of them. This reading is only available if you've already bought the Human Design Parenting course. It's very exclusive. Even though my website is currently under construction, this is still where you will be able to book a reading and find the courses. DanicaMarie.com. That's Danica with a C. Or in my Instagram bio link tree at raise.the.room on Instagram. Alright, enough of me. Let's get back to the episode. Which I guess is more me. I think a lot of the narrative we see online about Screen Time 2 talks about how kids need to be bored. Because that's where their imagination and their creativity flourish and that we live in a world where kids aren't bored enough you know you will hear the older generation especially the boomers talk about you know the neighborhood games they created like kids were just out of the way and you know from that so many amazing inventions music games childhood memories were created and that is true. and I I just don't really feel like focusing on that because I think that it has been said. It's obvious when we fill our time. It's the same for us. Like boredom and nothingness um, need to happen. for self-reflection, for self-improvement, for creativity. it's it's an obvious. What I think needs to be acknowledged and is very raise the room e is talking about how screen time replaces connection time. We want to limit our children's screen time for their brain development and also for our connection with them. Actually, I'm reminded of this time um, a handful of months ago when I was taking my son to basketball practice and we were waiting for it to start and mine was off playing with his friends and there was a dad in the chair across from me with a younger sibling to a child in the basketball practice and the child was on the iPad and the dad was on his phone. Um, and at one point in time, the kid starts getting a little squirmy and is like kind of run, running around or then comes back on his lap and then is trying to engage with the dad, like asking questions, whatever. And the dad the whole time constantly kept redirecting the child this curious playful energetic child back to the iPad watch your iPad just here's your game blah 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 I I don't assume to know what was going on in his life in their life if that if that's the norm if that's the only hour of alone time he had that day I have no idea what I do know is that that got me thinking about how often this is a reality where Children are trying to engage with us and we're redirecting them to a screen. And I just think that that's something that we as parents need to do better. Um, I actually have even made a TikTok on this because I'm just remembering now one time when I had to take my son to the urgent care, we didn't have a doctor. It was just because I wanted to check if he needed antibiotics. I thought he might have strep, strep throat. Wasn't sure if it was just a viral cold or not, but had to take him to urgent care like a small emergency room in our community because there was nowhere else to go after hours and he had never been so I spent the whole time in there talking to him about what he was seeing what was happening so I was explaining you know certain supplies on the walls explaining how a nurse talks to you first and then the doctor comes in and just trying to put him at ease because I could tell he was worried Um, and I wanted him to really hear in my tone that everything was okay and that this was normal and yeah, even though it might feel weird and new, you're, you're going to be fine. And a nurse came up to me after and she was just like, I am so impressed with how you engaged with and spoke with your son when he was clearly feeling a little nervous. Like she goes, I know we all have our phones. We're all addicted to our phones, but in here, it's really sad to see how every single parent is on their phone instead of engaging with their kid or even just taking some time to engage with their kid and she just said she feels extremely disheartened by it because in her I think she said almost 30 years of nursing like it has changed drastically in just the last decade this parent-child relationship so that reflection really hit home for me because I think We do miss a ton of opportunities to connect with our kids, to reassure our kids, to support our kids when we've got our nose buried in our devices as well. And again, I, I get it. We all got to look at our phones sometimes. I mean, damn, like our whole life is, is there. I mean, we pay bills through our phone now. Like there's so much that we use it for outside of, it's not always just scrolling, um, But I think being mindful, especially when our kids are trying to get our attention of just putting it down and allowing that moment to develop between you and your child is going to make a huge difference in the long run. So this is about the time where, you know, you have to acknowledge modeling is the most powerful parenting strategy, being the person, regulating in the way, doing the things that you want your kids to do be whatever. Uh, That's the most powerful, powerful parenting strategy is demonstrating and being the way that you're expecting them to be. If you don't want them to lose their shit, then guess what? You've got to learn how to keep your cool when you're triggered. Uh, If you don't want them to constantly have their nose in a device I mean just think about this when they're teens how much more obvious this is going to be than you need to not have your your nose in a device and you can come up with a family digital plan and I am guilty I am not standing on a pedestal here a hundred percent I need a better action plan and I'm saying this as a reminder for myself but they're watching (laughs) and words are one thing actions are another Let's talk about the idea of serve and return interactions. So I think it's funny that I'm talking about this because just the other day I met a lovely stranger at the park and she was talking about serve and return interactions because she is a research associate, oh my gosh, I can't say that, um, for a program that's designed to help parents more easily connect with their kids. And she said this thing, serve and return, and then in preparation for this episode, I was like coming across this idea of serve and return interactions. Now, this is a natural thing. I actually have heard it a couple of different ways. There's another way called the exchange of three that I learned while doing my practicum um, and visiting a kindergarten classroom. But basically what it is, is communicating in a way that's not just one-sided or directive. It's like somebody says something, you serve something up and they return something back to you and then you try and serve and return again. So it's about creating communication flow, but in a way that fosters connection. It's very basic, but I think when we're conscious of it, we realize how often our interactions with our kids might not be that. They might just be directives. They might just be following order things. They might not actually be to engage. And so research shows that serve and return interactions are One of the most fundamental ways that our children learn and one of the most fundamental ways that they feel connected to us. And when they are connected to a secure adult, that dictates the success and the emotional regulation abilities of their future. So this is huge. Just being you and connecting with your kids as they are is what's going to get them, you know, to learn, to be creative, to regulate all of the things, and that requires presence from us, and it requires work and focus and sometimes not just shoving them aside for the piece of the screen or the momentary piece of the screens. So even I bristle at this because screen time gives me a break and it allows me to do what I need to do, and I'm pretty engaged with my kids at all other times because they forced me to be, not because I'm perfect. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to engage during sp- screen time. But one of the best ways you can kind of cheat the system here and use serve and return but still get some screen time peace, is by engaging with them about what they're watching. So um, asking a question about something you overheard or after they're finished, like having an actual discussion about what it was that they were watching is an excellent way to kind of, kill two birds with one stone so to say you know we're all about reality here at raise the room we're not about being perfect we're not about being you know judgmental and on the pedestal but this is kind of a great happy medium and it actually also reinforces um learning and reinforces like making meaning of what it is that they have just witnessed so it's bonus for you know educational and brain development purposes as well and speaking of learning, I think there's a lot out there right now about using devices as educational tools. I mean, I'm a teacher. They are an integrated part of the classroom. Kids need digital literacy in this day, day and age. It, it has to happen. And I think there's a time and a place. Um, however, this does not replace the value of learning face-to-face from a human. Even just looking at this website called Caring for Kids, it's a screen time recommendations from Canadian pediatricians. It addresses this and says that young children always learn best from face-to-face interactions with caring adults. Given the choice, they almost always choose talking, playing, or being read to over screen time. And in addition to that, especially for kids under five years old, learning like their um, letters, numbers, basic things via a tablet or an app from like a 2D screen, research is showing that that doesn't actually translate into understanding in a 3D real life context. Like being able to understand and do the right things according to an app game that's 2D with these things, and then translating that into the real world and absorbing it as true learning and understanding is not happening and does not happen nearly at the same level as it does when they're learning about their letters from a caring adult, when they're learning about, you know, baby animals or whatever the little educational thing is that you have through physical experience. Not to mention, Learning face-to-face and like using real-life books and tangible activities also helps their fine motor skills, which is a massive, massive issue nowadays in our children. Like kids, both gross and fine motor skills are deteriorating insanely. Um, this is anecdotal. Like I'm, I, I think I know this to be true and we can probably find a whole bunch of research, but... I am saying this from a personal standpoint like it's shocking um, how many kids you see in kindergarten who haven't really gripped a pencil before or you know are not able to throw yet or jumping is difficult or, you know, as they get into grade three, like still writing is is a massive challenge. And, and I'm not saying that to belittle children. I'm saying that our society has changed and the developmental markers of what is normal for kids as they grow up are, are kind of moving and shifting because so many things are being replaced with screen time. So many outdoor learning moments, so many imaginary play moments, so many connecting with other kids moments are being replaced with a device. And so as with anything, there's balance. There are some wonderful educational apps out there. I mean, look at all of the progress that apps have brought to people that have special learning needs or communicative needs, you know, like now nonverbal students are able to press something and communicate what they, they need. Like Nothing is all good and nothing is all bad. And I think that we need to make space and understand that if we constantly are replacing a chance to interact with a caring adult and a chance to interact with kids in the world around them time and time again with a screen, there are going to be negative benefit or negative consequences. There are going to be outcomes that we probably don't like and never intended for as a parent. I feel like I need to heavy sigh after all of that. I almost get sick of myself when talking about things like this. That's like, it feels kind of do-gooder, but I think it's also important to share. And so we're going to just finish up with some official recommendations for screen time. It's according to that same uh, website an article from Canadian Pediatricians. So their first one is to come up with developing a family media plan to guide when, how, and where screens can and can't be used, which I think is beautiful and I really think that I would like to implement here at our house. I mean, we try loosely, but I think probably sitting down and formally sketching it up would be really smart. Um, Other tips are obviously uh, be a good role model with your own screen and all devices Turn off devices for mealtimes when reading with your child or when doing things together as a family. We actually do family dinner every single night together at the table. It's not long. It's often chaotic. (laughs) And we do have some nights where the kids watch in front of the TV so that we can deal with our life. You know, especially right now during the move in summer, we're out of... um, we're definitely out of the practice of seven nights a week together at the dinner table like we are during the school year. And it's funny because the other night we had a dinner together and the conversation was just so cute. Like a dinner together after not having had one for three or four nights we had been away and then when we came home there was a TV dinner like um yeah, and so it was so cute my husband and I looked at each other and we're just like, "Oh my god, we need to do this more often." Like We need to get back into every single night doing this. We both grew up in families where that was the norm and we want that for our kids. And then sometimes, yeah, the convenience of just like, oh my God, some peace and quiet and Derek and I need to, you know, talk about bills or talk about this moving thing and we want to do it uninterrupted becomes too tempting. And so it's a slippery slope, but it makes a massive, massive difference when, when you do do this. Okay, moving on. It says, turn off screens when no one is using them, especially background TV. Wow, we need to do this more often. Our house is like friggin' Sportsnet Central all the time. So that needs to get turned off. Avoid using screens for at least one hour before bedtime and keep all screens out of your child's bedroom. They will interfere with sleep. Choose healthy activities like reading, outdoor play, and crafts instead of screen time. Duh. And finally, be mindful of technoference. This happens when phones and other devices get in the way of daily life. When adults spend too much time on their devices, children may behave negatively to get attention. Um, and then, obviously, more recommendations just about using educational, age appropriate, and interactive acts, or apps and you know, device time and shows. And one thing I actually came across when I was reading this was talking about how um, the pacing of shows is just completely different this way and and often can cause attention issues. Like, and they use the example of watching uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Like, even just him coming in and taking off his sweater is so slow. It's one camera angle. There's not a cut to a new camera angle. It's so much slower and more methodical than... All of the things that kids are watching nowadays, which do, again, affect the brain chemistry. I mean, there's interference there in stimulation. So I thought that was fascinating how even just TV viewing and the shows that are being viewed have changed over time. I mean, it's obvious, but when you actually hear it like that, it's like, oh yeah, there's just so much less room for practicing patience in every aspect of our lives. Okay, roomies, so thank you so much for sitting and listening to just my stream of consciousness and maybe personal experience and thoughts on all of this. Again, this is a safe space. Come up with something that works and feels aligned for you and your family that puts your well-being and your kids' well-being at the forefront, whether that means maybe having more screen time than you ever anticipated, but it is what it is right now. Um choose to do so with confidence because your kids are going to feel your certainty. They're gonna feel the vibes that you bring to the situation. So when you stick to your plan and you just do what feels right to you, regardless of what I'm saying, what the recommendations are, etc., it's going to be fine. I also want to... Send you love as a compassionate, conscious parent who, you know, is spending their free time listening to something about kids and screen time. Like, goddamn, don't you want to just go get some sort of like smutty book to escape to? (laughs) I know I do. And I love that. But that's the beautiful part about this community and the roomies is that, you know, sometimes we do just dig in and do the dirty work and we try and figure out how to be better and do better. So. Roomies, for all that you're doing and all that you are, thank you for always raising the room. Until next time. Thank you so much for spending your precious time here with me today. If you'd like more, please follow along at raise.the.room on both Instagram and TikTok. Or you can go to my website, DanicaMarie.com. That's Danica with the C. Here you can book a human design session with me for you or your child. Or you can get one of my human design parenting courses that helps you understand your child's human design type. They're designed to help you work with the child you have instead of against them. And finally, if you're still here, this would be the point where I'd ask you to rate and review the podcast. Except just saying it out loud makes me want to die. So instead, I'll say, please share with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And finally, let's always remember that with all that you have to offer, you will always raise the room. Can't wait to chat soon. Bye.